0: The stream of time. Sometime in the 30s AD, we don't know exactly when, a man named Saul of Tarsus had a vision on the road to Damascus. We aren't sure if it was only auditory or visual or both, but we do know two things. First, that the vision was of Jesus, a man who had died a few years before. Second, this event was a pivotal point in Christian history, as this man became known as Paul the Apostle. The man who would not only spread Christianity, but would change the very shape of Christianity itself. Welcome back to the History Podcast, The Stream of Time. Last episode, we started the series, The Man Who Changed the World, in which we began a discussion of the Roman Emperor Constantine's adoption of the then illegal religion, Christianity. As a reminder, last episode was focused on ancient paganism. Today's episode, we'll be delving pretty deeply into early Christianity. But first, a disclaimer. Talking about religion is a sensitive subject for everyone involved, and the last thing I want to do is offend someone. But what I'm going to talk about may make some people uncomfortable, and I have two things I can say to that. First, I am not in any way trying to downplay or criticize faith in Jesus Christ or Christianity in general, and I will go out of my way to avoid making judgments about anyone who does or does not have faith in Christianity. Faith is a very personal thing, and logical and historical discussions can and should be separate from one's theological faith. Second, that being said, I will be talking about Christian texts in a different context than someone who might have read them in a more religious context would be used to. I encourage you to keep an open mind, as an open historical and textual analysis of these books is not mutually exclusive with belief, faith, and even a theological analysis. So, what do I mean by early Christianity? When we say early Christianity, we're generally talking about Christianity up until the First Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Constantine was the emperor during this time, and the only reason the First Council of Nicaea happened in the first place was because Constantine adopted Christianity, which not only made a formerly illegal religion legal, but would eventually lead to Christianity as the state religion in the Roman Empire. In other words, When we say early Christianity, we're talking about the first 300 years of Christianity up until the adoption of Constantine. When studying history, one of the easiest traps to get caught in is that of looking at history backwards. What I mean by that is that we know the outcome of history. It's easy to look at what happened at any given time as a foregone conclusion. Our knowledge and perception of how things ended up color and influence our understanding of exactly how history actually played out. This can be especially problematic when studying religion, especially a religion that is still practiced today, such as Christianity. Christianity today isn't even a single monolithic structure, as there are many different kinds of Christians with very different beliefs. And now imagine that those branches of Christianity are the results of many different threads of history unraveling in their own individual ways. The idea of looking at history backwards, is illustrated in one of the two main Christian texts, the New Testament. Modern people, both Christians and non-Christians alike, tend to see the New Testament as a book that has always been complete and in the same exact form in which it is today. That couldn't be further from the truth. The New Testament contains 27 books, written at different times, half of which were letters written from someone to a church community, usually for the purpose of clarification or to give some instructions. We'll get into more detail about some of these books. But the point I wanted to make is that these individual books and letters were originally written without the idea that they'd end up together in some kind of compendium. And conversely, there were many other Christian texts that did not make it into the finalized New Testament, such as the Gospel of Thomas, The Gnostic texts, or the Gospel of Peter, which is not to be confused with the First Epistle of Peter, which did make it into the New Testament. These three examples, and many more, were texts written by Christians that did not eventually make it into the canonical collection of Christian texts. By the way, quick linguistic note canon, as in C A N O N, comes from the Greek for rule, like a set of rules. Okay. So let's get into the history by laying out a timeline. Jesus was probably born around the year 3 or 2 BCE. I understand that probably makes little sense given that the year 0 is supposed to be dated to the birth of Jesus. But the problem we have here is that there is simply very little information about Jesus outside of accounts written way later after his death. Even worse, several of those accounts either contradict each other or other information we have about the geopolitical situation that is far more supported by varying accounts and archaeological evidence. For example, the Gospel of Luke tells us that there was an empire wide census at the time of Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So all went to be registered everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So what's the problem here? The problem is that we have a lot of information about the reign of Caesar Augustus, the first Roman emperor. There is zero evidence that he ever ordered any such census. Furthermore, in a very large and open, as in people could travel around within it, empire such as the Roman Empire, it would have been impossible to expect everyone to go back to their place of birth at one specific time for a census that would have been of limited value anyway. Put differently, logistically, it was impossible. Then why did the writer of the Gospel of Luke include it? The best guess we have is that it would have tied Jesus to a larger city such as Bethlehem, rather than be associated with what at the time was a relative backwater like Nazareth. These distinctions are lost on us moderns, but to the contemporaries of the writers of the Gospels, this would have been a very important distinction to make. Now, I didn't set out here to point out inconsistencies in the New Testament. I just wanted to point out ways that we have to be careful in reading the New Testament for historical purposes. With that, let's get back to our timeline. I believe things will make more sense if I start listing out some major events and writings in the first century of Christianity. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus was probably born around 3 or 2 BCE. He probably died in the early 30s AD. At the time of Jesus' death, the man who would eventually be known as the Apostle Paul was a member of a branch of ultra-Orthodox Judaism called the Pharisees. I mention this because for the first few years after the death of Jesus, Paul was persecuting Christians. Jesus himself was Jewish, and from Paul's point of view, the Christians themselves were Jewish, but going against the Jewish law by proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's vision on the road to Damascus changed his mind. We'll never know the exact nature of it. The Bible itself is somewhat inconsistent on key points of the vision, such as whether it was auditory or visual or both or whether he only experienced it or others experienced it with him. But whatever happened in that vision, it convinced Paul that faith in Jesus was a logical next step in Judaism. This is worth repeating. Paul pushing that faith was important was pretty new in the ancient world. If you listened to the last episode of The Stream of Time, you might remember that for pagan religions, faith and belief in the religion was unimportant compared to what you actually did for the gods. Which usually meant sacrifice. Paul was bringing something entirely new in by pushing the idea that faith in Jesus was the path to salvation in one's religion. If you're following along on our timeline, this probably would have been around the mid to late 30s AD. Paul shifted gears completely after this. He then traveled around modern day Turkey and Greece, would set up shop in a town for a while, probably as some sort of leather worker, and would slowly spread the word about faith in Jesus. This brings us to the very first mentions we have of Jesus in any text, whether Christian or non-Christian. This is the collection of letters called the epistles that Paul wrote to churches and congregations he had helped form, or at least had worked with. The word epistle comes from the Greek episole, which means letter, as in I wrote a letter to my friend. Probably the first epistle written was the first epistle to Thessalonians. Thessaloniki is a city in northern Greece which Paul had visited sometime earlier. The epistle lays out instructions clarifying issues that came up in the congregation. While modern scholars believe Paul wrote only seven of the 13 epistles in the New Testament, most of the epistles take this form of some kind of advice or instructions on how to run the church. The Pauline epistles, which are the seven that Paul wrote, are Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1st Thessalonians, and Philemon. He probably didn't write Ephesians, Colossians, and 2nd Thessalonians, and he almost definitely did not write 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Obviously, you don't need to remember that list, but I wanted to lay it out to show that even the titles represent that they are letters written to either a congregation in a city such as Corinth, Ephesus, or of course Rome or to a person, such as Titus and Timothy. Back to the timeline. Paul probably wrote these in the 50s. The first one, first Thessalonians, was probably written around 52 AD. The epistles are the very earliest writings we have about or by Christians. Paul may not have been the first Christian, but his energetic proselytization was instrumental in spreading and clarifying the Christian doctrine. The next set of texts I want to discuss are the Gospels. The word gospel is from early Germanic English meaning good talk or good news, and comes to us from the Greek eugelion, which you probably recognize as similar to evangelism. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the order that they're laid out in the New Testament. But they were very likely written in a different order. First, Mark, which was probably written around 70 AD, then Matthew, then Luke, both probably written sometime in the 80s or 90s, and finally, John, which was written sometime between 90 and 110 AD. I'm trying to avoid getting too technical, but this spacing is important. The Gospel of Mark is very different from the Gospel of John, and these differences illustrate how the understanding of the Christian religion changed in those three or four decades. The first gospel written chronologically, the Gospel of Mark, is more, for a lack of a better term, grounded, and makes no mention of Jesus' identity as God that would later be understood in Christianity. In fact, in most parts of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus goes out of his way to tell people not to tell anyone else who he is or what he's doing. For example, after Jesus heals the daughter of a man named Jairus, Mark chapter 5 verse 43 tells us, He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. Now contrast this with the last gospel written, chronologically, the gospel of John. In the gospel of John, Jesus makes very clear his identity and moreover, makes it clear that the word should be spread. For example, John chapter 11, verse 25, tells us that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now again, I'm not trying to point out inconsistencies or to criticize the theology of Christianity. What I'm trying to do is illustrate two important concepts. First, that Christianity went through dramatic and relatively fast changes over its first century. Second, and possibly more importantly, Christianity was mostly decentralized in its first century. There wasn't even a New Testament yet, just a bunch of different documents written such as the Epistles and the Gospels there wasn't even a central church at first. Over the first few centuries of Christianity, the church in Rome would eventually become a de facto head, mainly because of the very simple reason that the congregation there was more wealthy and therefore able to exert influence easier. With no centralized church early on, there was no centralized doctrine, and it's because of this that the first few centuries of Christianity have lots and lots of different creeds that would eventually be called heresies after a solid canon was established. But it's important to emphasize here that in these early years, there wasn't a solid doctrine against which to form a heresy. In fact, the word heresy itself comes from the Greek hierasis, which means choice, as in you made the wrong choice. It is against this backdrop that we can better understand branches of Christianity that seem completely alien to us today, such as the Gnostics. The Gnostics had a very complicated cosmology in which communion with God could only come from fully understanding this cosmology at a spiritual level, but it was also somewhat exclusionary because of this. More inclusive forms of Christianity meant more people could join, which of course meant the spread of those doctrines over less exclusionary ones, such as Gnosticism. But the Gnostics are just one example of many sects and philosophies of Christianity that formed over the first three centuries of Christianity. The second and third centuries AD especially saw many Christian thinkers and philosophers proposing different doctrines. Men with names such as Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, and Origen proposed many ideas, some against each other, some in agreement. Some ideas leaned into the Judaic roots of Christianity some rejected the Judaic roots altogether. While the form or forms of Christianity that did eventually crystallize borrowed a bit from each of these philosophers and faiths, the difficulty in forming a centralized doctrine was exacerbated in the mid-3rd century, when widespread persecutions of Christianity across the Roman Empire began under the Roman Emperor Decius, and forced some Christians to practice their faith further underground than they already had been. It was Constantine's adoption of Christianity in the early 4th century and the subsequent Council of Nicaea that put a formality to the doctrine and established what was church canon and what was heresy. We will get into more detail about both of these in the next episode. There are two more points I want to make today. You might have noticed that I keep pointing out the Greek roots of a lot of these words related to Christianity. Why is that? Well, contrary to popular belief. The books of the New Testament were written in Greek, not Hebrew, not Aramaic. While Jesus himself probably spoke Aramaic, the scholarly writing of the ancient world was almost always written in Attic Greek, in much the same way that scholarly articles in the 17th and 18th centuries were written in Latin, or today in English. In fact, it's for this reason that we are certain that the Gospels were not written by the men to which they were attributed, that is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John most of these apostles were illiterate in their own language of Aramaic or Hebrew. There's nothing to suggest that they could write in Greek, which would have required a substantial education to learn and write in. An education which the Apostle Paul did have, as the seven epistles we attribute to him were most likely written by him in Greek. Now, this may seem like a bit of linguistic trivia, but it's actually very important. In fact, The dangers of translation are illustrated no better than the perpetuated myth that the Bible tells us that Jesus was a carpenter. The original Greek word that was used in the Bible, specifically the Gospels of Mark and Matthew, is tekton. Tekton did not mean carpenter. It meant something more like someone who can fix anything, or day laborer, or possibly even engineer. But there's nothing in the original copies of the Bible that suggests that Jesus was just a carpenter. This misconception is a result of poor translation that happened much later. The second point I wanted to make was that in this discussion I excluded not only several books of the New Testament, but I also didn't talk about the Old Testament at all. That's because, as I said a few times, today we were seeking out documents that would help us to get a grasp on the history of early Christianity. While the other books of the New Testament, Acts of the Apostles and Revelation, are important theologically, They didn't fit into our discussion as much as the seven Pauline epistles and the four gospels that we talked about today. And the Old Testament is almost totally borrowed from the Jewish collection of books called the Tanakh. There are some minor differences and some changes in the ordering of books, but for the most part, these writings are taken from the Jewish Tanakh, and therefore don't provide the kind of historical context about early Christianity that we're talking about today. That's a wrap for today. Next episode we'll be talking about Constantine, who he was, what drove him to his conversion, and the context around which his conversion took place. Thank you for listening, and see you next time on The Stream of Time.